Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Thriving in Business and Life. I'm Christopher Harding. And I'm Will Wilkinson. Welcome back to the program. And today we're talking about stories. Yeah, you know, we have, uh, in our different uh, podcasts, we've been doing this for over a year now. It's hard to imagine that. Yeah, we've got over 60 programs uh, in the can. Yeah, and we just want to say thank you, first of all, to people we've got listening from all over the world, which is always right. a thrill to us. We're happy that what we're able to share is is uh, finding a place in the lives of people from I think it's like 30 different countries. That's truly amazing. Well, it wouldn't make much sense just to sit here and talk to each other. (laughs) As as much as we enjoy that. (laughs) Well, one of the things that uh, we start off our whole topic in our book, Thriving in Business and Life, and our online course, is just really taking a look at the remarkable human capability that we have to make up stories. It's true. This is uh, a tradition. Humans have been making up stories ever since we could. It's just the way we're wired. We are all wired for storytelling, not just professional storytellers. Right, and and that's the thing. I mean, you know, when they looked at the the caves in France where they saw some of the earliest uh, cave art and realized that the artists were basically trying to tell a story. Yeah, I think there was a car chase in there, wasn't there? <laughs> I think you're thinking of a later, a later, <laughs> later <time>. version. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would have been a real surprise. I mean, it? I'm joking, but my point is that there's a certain formula to storytelling. And a couple of years ago, I was hired to write a screenplay, and so I did some deep research on the topic, and was really amazed to discover just how formulaic storytelling can be. Well, and the, the, in a way, it's. If you go back, a lot of people say that kind of the Greeks really invented the three-act play. Yes. Uh, their, their approach to it. And what they looked at was the archetypal uh, journey, almost mm. like the hero's journey is right. what Joseph Campbell called it, that we all tend to go through as human beings in different chapters of our life. And what we started to take a look at was the tendency we have without the need of a screenplay, uh, a movie, or a book to just make stuff up all the time. Uh, you know, we're, we're constantly filling in the gaps with stuff we make up. And it's actually very helpful to study classic storytelling to see where in the stuff that we make up we're kind of following the pattern and where we deviate, particularly in a good story, there are ups and downs. Right. You expect the hero to to soar in success and fall in defeat, pick himself or herself back up again and keep going. In our lives, there's a tendency to think that our story should be more flat, like just heading straight up. 
You know, right, any obstacle right. is considered to be like a bad thing. But actually, in all good stories, we expect there to be problems which we solve. Well, so let's let's take a look at how this this shows up in our day to day world. Uh, we talk about making up stories, and what we're really saying is that we assign ourselves a role mm-hmm. in certain situations. We cast ourselves in a certain role. We we tend to see other people in other roles. Uh, maybe they're an ally. Maybe they're an enemy. Maybe they're a problem. And just the very fact that we create that story structure, you could say mm-hmm. unconsciously, mm-hmm. in our mind, we actually begin, research shows, to act out those stories as if we're following one of these archetypal scripts. It's just truly fascinating. I mean, in the first act, which is uh, commonly called the departure, the hero encounters some event. It's usually called an instigating event, which rocks their world. They are dislodged from their comfort zone and propelled into an adventure. Now, what's interesting is that typically in the hero's story, there's a moment after that happens called refusal of the call, which is where the hero says, not me, I'm not going on this journey, I want to stay right here in my comfort zone. Now, fortunately, they get over that, and uh, there's something, I'm trying to remember the exact term, it's, it's something, the, the defining moment. That's right, what it is. Right. Where they define their character by saying, well, initially I dug in my heels, I was stubborn, I said, no, I've gotten over that, now I'm saying yes, which opens up the second act. Now, in our lives, we tend to just stay in the comfort zone and, and consider what I just described as the instigating event as a bad thing. It's actually our passport to growth. Yeah, the rite of passage, you could say, into, uh, into, you know, transformation and personal growth. There's another element that I was always intrigued in with, uh, screenplays and, and when I would be producing a, a movie and a lot of times working with the writer, what we were also looking for was before the movie ever began, before the story hit the screen, what was going on for the character and, mm. and kind of the tradition in most three-act plays is that the character has what is sometimes referred to as a ghost. Mm-hmm. It's some element from their past mm-hmm. that's actually the reason why mm-hmm. they're not stepping out. Yeah. It's the thing that they will eventually have to right. overcome in the third act in order to really uh, finally become triumphant on their journey. And the best stories are stories of discovery. We don't know everything from moment one. We find out. We find out what the ghost is. And that happens throughout the second act where the hero, in this case for you and me, for everybody, we are the hero in our own life story. We undergo, the second act is called the descent, where we go into the underworld. (laughs) Interesting term. We meet a mentor or mentors. We encounter challenges. We hone our skills. We become transformed. And then we emerge into, you know, the, the last act. But that period of time is where we discover what the real story is about. Well, and it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because as we were talking about this, uh, recently with, with, uh, some friends, we were talking about understanding the difference between the facts of mm-hmm. a situation mm-hmm. and the meaning we impose on the facts. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's not that it's wrong to impose meaning. It's just that it's helpful to know that we're doing it. Well, yes, and that it's not really an option. 
It's right. something we, we are automatically doing. I think sometimes, I know when I've talked to people about this, the initial impression is that, well, there are the facts over here, and then there are the stories we're telling about the facts. Well, actually, they're just... It's, it's all the stories we're telling about the facts. There isn't really an isolated, objective reality because we're perceiving things. And as we perceive them, we're automatically giving meaning to them. Exactly. And, it, and it's, uh, I, I think that it was, I think it was Werner Erhard actually who used the term that human beings are meaning making machines. Exactly. I think he said that right after he said, no, you can't go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, if anybody hasn't been to a, an EST workshop, uh, they used to make you stay in the room the entire time. You could not be excused to go to the bathroom. So for some context there, but. So, but, but the idea was, is that we can't help but impose meaning. So, mm-hmm. our idea is, well, since we're going to do that, let's be conscious of it. Right. Be conscious that we're doing it, and at the same time that everyone else is doing it, and their stories are bound to be different than ours. Right. So, what, what's really interesting is to start to ask the question, you know, like, so, how, what did this mean to you? How mm-hmm. did you perceive this? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times, if we get more familiar with it, we can even be saying, uh, so what are you making this mean? Or, you know, mm-hmm. how are you interpreting this? Because when we're doing coaching and, and when we're being coached ourselves, to be able to identify what's the story I've imposed on top of the situation, mm-hmm. uh, if I, if I don't know that and I'm just kind of unconsciously blinding act or blindly acting out uh, a repetitive story, because these stories tend to cycle, then my options get pretty limited because I'm going to be looking for somebody to cast as the villain. I'm going to be looking for somebody to cast as the hero or maybe the ally if if I see myself as the hero. So, you know, just the very notion that in life, in relationships, in our business settings, just to start to ask the question, what is the fact, as objectively as I can Mm -hmm. define it, Recognizing that we're always looking mm-hmm. through our own lens, and what am I making it mean? Well, and uh, a real shortcut to helping ourselves and others with this is to ask the question that all storytellers and screenwriters ask at the beginning: How does this end? Well, that's a great one, isn't it? You know, yes. how do I want this story to end? And I'm just recalling one of your early mentors, this fellow you met on the plane who helped you identify the story you were telling by going right there. He, I think he, if I recall correctly, he asked you, is this the end? Is this the result that you want? Right. Which I think in that case was getting fired. <laughs> and if so, then you're telling the right story. Yeah, he did, He basically said, "What? Uh, if, if I understand it correctly, you're about to be fired. Are you okay with that? <laughs> right. right. He was checking in with me. Is that how you want this? No, that, that, that was a wake-up for you, right? That, that oh, helped you see the link between the story you were telling and the result you were going to get. I wish I would have been that quick, but, mm. but it took a little more prodding. I said, no, I'm not okay with that. Mm. And he said, well, how would you like it to end? Mm-hmm. So I said, well, I, I want to stay in the organization. I want to be successful. I want this boss that I'm having trouble with to become my partner in that success. And then he asked a really interesting question. So... Who would you have to be in that story in order for that to work? And how would you treat an ally? So, I mean, he helped me basically, we call it flip the script, right? He helped me basically set up a new ending, identify who I needed to be in that story in order for that to work, 
and then start to ask myself, how does that character in mm-hmm. my story act so that I can create that outcome? Well, let's make this distinction really clear because our default setting tends to be, what do I need to do to get the result I want? But as he was showing you, the real question was, who do I need to be right. in order to act the way I need to act to get that result? This is a major distinction here. We see this in stories all the time where the protagonist is presented with a challenge that requires him or her to literally step up and become different. They don't just do different things. They need to act a different way. Who do they need to be to get the results they want? Right, and that goes back to a diagram we've used a lot that falls right in line with the whole storytelling notion, and that is what we've referred to uh, Bill Guillory, the mentor I had on the plane, Mm -hmm. actually, uh, calls it the state of mind diagram. That it's our mindset, it's mm-hmm. our belief, mm-hmm. it's our our sense of who we are that that leads to our actions and our behavior that creates the outcome. So when we're saying who do we need to be, it's really starting to cast ourselves, like you said, in a whole different role, in a different light, to tap into a different maybe depth mm-hmm. of our own mm-hmm. self so that we can act consistent with a way that will lead to the outcome we want. At least we're going to increase the odds. So I want to just clarify that what we're considering here is really quite a radical departure from some of the old concepts like uh, winners never quit. Well, fine, but I'll use myself as an example. Do I identify as a winner? Because I think often a person feels that they're a loser. They've failed at something. And like losing weight. I've tried eight times, haven't been able to do it. I'm going to do it this time by persevering. But unless they change their identification from a loser to a winner, they're going to lose again. Well, you know, when when we started originally playing with the whole idea of story some years back, we expanded the state of mind diagram from mindset, behavior, and results, and we put a box before mindset, and that was identity. Yeah. Who did I identify as? And as a result of that role that I cast myself in, that helped shape my mindset. If I saw myself as a loser, well, then a loser has a different kind of a mindset than a person who basically sees themselves as maybe really fortunate or Mm -hmm. somebody who's uh, blessed, whatever concept they want to have. Well, if I see myself as a blessed person, then my mindset is I'm always looking for ways that I'm blessed. I'm looking for help. I'm looking for guidance. Yeah, and the identity, uh, a change in identity changes the mindset, changes the behaviors, changes the results. In that order, I, I just had a, an experience of this the other day where I had a thought about some result I was getting in my life, and uh, I think I was just drifting off to sleep, and I was in that zone where your intuition kind of kicks in a little bit, a little kind of dreamlike, and just clear as crystal, I, I went, well, yeah, if, if I'm going to get the result, I have to stop saying that thing. I had a habit, a verbal habit of talking about something a certain way, And I realized that as long as I kept doing that, I was going to keep getting that result. And it related to who I was identified with in the moment. And I went, well, that's not really who I need to be to get that result. Oh, and in that moment, I felt myself changing identity. That's that's wild, you know. As you're saying that, uh, we share in the in the book uh, 
experience that I had uh, early on in my production years, uh, we were producing some audio tapes for a guy named uh, Shad Helmstetter, Dr. Shad Helmstetter. His specialty was uh, self-talk, which is right to what mm-hmm. you, were, you were saying. Mm-hmm. And what he started to say was we really need to pay attention to what it is we tell ourselves, almost under our breath a lot of times, mm-hmm. or quietly. You know, so what am I saying to myself mm-hmm. about me? Mm-hmm. And where did that come from? Whose, whose voice is that really? Is it, is it me or is it some mm-hmm. character that I've adopted? Maybe a parent or somebody in my neighborhood? Do I talk to myself as an encouraging coach and mentor? Mm-hmm. Or do I demean myself and, and talk to, down to myself as if I was some kind of, uh, know less than uh, worthy individual and through working on that tape I started actually listening to myself talk and at that time I was saying some really negative counterproductive stuff about myself and his whole thing was when you hear yourself say that just say cancel and replace it with something affirmative about yourself well that's such a great simple technique but as we'll immediately recognize, listening to you say that, it involves actually doing something. <laughs> well, our, our topic last week was on taking action. So. Yeah, I mean, we have to do something to get different results. And I'm, I'm emphasizing this because we can be pretty enabling with ourselves and letting ourselves get away with negative self-talk. That's one reason why so often so many of us feel fraudulent. Nobody is hearing our self-talk except us. So they're saying, oh, you did a great job, Bob. Thank you. That was great last night. Inside, we're going, oh, I sure blew that. So we feel fraudulent. And if they only knew not what had really happened, but how I really was talking to myself, they'd see the disparity. Well, you know, that goes to another piece of the whole storytelling element. And that is, uh, you know, we've we've done a lot of looking into self-hypnosis and mm-hmm and uh, even neuro-linguistic programming and how it impacts our brain. And what we found in our research and our studies was that we actually become entranced Mm -hmm. by our own stories. In other words, they can become so believable to us that we actually confuse them with the hard, cold truth. And, or maybe it's the nice warm truth, but mm-hmm. we, we think that our story is the same as reality. So if I've been running this tape in the back of my mind that I'm not good enough, or, or maybe that I'm smarter than everyone else and therefore nobody else is good enough, both of those type of stories, we're talking on the extreme here, are going to impact the way we show up. And if we're not careful, we become so convinced of that story that we're not even willing to ask ourselves, well, is it working? Mm-hmm. Is it heading where I need to go? Right. Am I getting the results that I want? This is such a wonderful topic, Chris, because it's ultimately it's so empowering. There are so many physical circumstances we don't immediately have the power to change. But here is a domain where you could say all of us are equal in the sense that all of us have the opportunity to tell different stories if we so choose. Now, I want to be respectful of the differences between us. Some of us, uh, and I know this from my coaching work, particularly the personal coaching, some of us have had horrible things happen, say, in our childhood, and we're burdened with stories based in trauma that are very hard to stop repeating. 
We repeat them inside ourselves with our self-talk. And then, as we all know, we tend to replicate similar circumstances over and over again. The bad relationships, the failed career moves, etc., etc. What we're suggesting is that, you know, as we like to say, go upstream. Don't just work with those symptoms. Go upstream and identify the identity that I have, that you have, we all have, that's resulting in the mindset, the behaviors, that's getting those results. Exactly. Well, and that's what, uh, you know, Bill did for me on the plane. Basically, he invited me to go upstream and, and, you know, say, you know, if you continue to do what you're doing, look downstream and see where that's going to lead. Mm-hmm. Is that where you want to end up? That reminds me of the expression, if you don't change direction, you'll end up where you're heading. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Well, the, uh, you know, the thing about trauma and, you know, there's more and more study around trauma and trauma informed care in terms of healthcare, trauma informed care even in policing now. Mm-hmm. Because what, what they're coming to realize is that when we have a dramatic, traumatic, emotionally charged experience, our tendency is to keep playing it out, whether we're telling the story over and over again, which sometimes can be very helpful or whether we are unconsciously acting it out again in order to uh, attempt a better resolution. Right. But if we're doing that unconsciously, the challenge is we're, we're likely to keep falling into the same, the same trap. Well, and it also helps to uh, recognize a tendency in our translating to go from specific to general. So in other words, let's say as a person's growing up, they have a primary caregiver who doesn't show them a lot of love. So it might be, uh, my mother didn't love me. Well, that's one person. But the way we might translate that is into, nobody loves me. Right, right. And then we I'm care- not lovable. I'm not lovable, exactly. Yeah. My mother didn't love me, therefore I'm not lovable, therefore nobody can love me. And then we've, we're facing this huge situation, which is a very different story than saying, I had a mother who struggled to express love towards me. Just look at the difference in those two stories. Well, so again, let's, we're, what we're making a distinction of right there is the difference between the facts. Mm-hmm. I had a mother who didn't express love to me, if mm-hmm. that was what went on, um, and what I made that mean. Right. My mother doesn't love me, or I'm unlovable. That's meaning imposed yeah. on the facts. And yeah. so if, if sometimes it's just to go back, and when we're coaching, uh, a lot of times that's what we're trying to do is get somebody to back up and say, so tell me factually, mm-hmm. from an outside observer's standpoint, what what took place? Mm-hmm. And you know, just if it was going to be stated in facts. Now, what is it that I've made that mean? You know, what's been my history with that? Is that serving me? And next, what else could I make that mean that would better serve me and the aims or goals that I'm actually pursuing? Exactly. Another mistranslation we make is we take something that happened to me and turn it into something that happened because of me. Yeah, that's So something that happens to me may be somebody treats me poorly. I'll turn that into, I'm not worthy. There's something about me that causes people to treat me that way. That's just the way I am. That's the way I am. And then I take responsibility unfairly for something that really didn't originate with me. Right. 
Right. Well, I mean, those are those are two big keys right there. I guess if we all identified just those simple pieces, it would be a lot to unwind. So, I mean, and a lot of times, I mean, that's what therapists are actually doing is they're helping us go back and examine what happened and what we made it mean. And a lot of what we're suggesting, because we're doing coaching, which is really more about moving forward, uh, is, is to look at a specific situation and get people into the present moment and say, what would you like to have happen here? Mm-hmm. You know, how, who, who do you need to start practice seeing yourself as? Mm-hmm. And it takes practice. That's one of the things that when we've had stories etched in our memory banks and in our neural uh, network system for a long time, it's not like we can just change them immediately and suddenly, I'm okay, everything's right. fine, all that trauma's left behind me. We really need practice, and we need partners in that practice. And back to something I was referring to earlier about the first act dynamic, this refusal of the call, that produces what's known as the reluctant hero. Right. They're right. called to a, an adventure, but they're kind of dragging their feet. They're they're going very reluctantly. I think a lot of us end up being like reluctant heroes in our own life story. What we love to see on the screen or in a book is where the reluctant hero decides to make an, a, a commitment. So similarly with our own stories, we can be half-hearted about our participation in what's going on, complaining that we wish it was different, that other people would change, that, that we would change, or we can be wholehearted and say, okay, here's the situation. I'm committing to this. I am changing from being a reluctant hero to a fully enrolled hero. You know, as you're saying that, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, just the fact that how often are we willing to look for the Yoda in our own life? Right? <laughs> the inner Yoda. <laughs> yeah, or the outer Yoda for Not that true. matter, too. You know, it's... it's uh, the people who show up, who maybe they just share some insight with us. Sometimes it's a one-time, you know, statement they make. Maybe they can become influential. So, one thing I'd suggest is, is for all of us, as we're continuing to grow and evolve our story into a more whole, uh, healthy version of ourselves, to look for the people who encourage that, who mm-hmm. call that out in right, us, who, right. who you know, really. Are able to coach and mentor us. I was I was on a call just uh, a little bit ago with a young woman whose story is so remarkable that if you would have listened to her story five years ago, you'd assume that she'd either be dead mm. in prison mm. or in an you know an addiction recovery center somewhere. Oh. Oh. And her health is just one of the most weirdest, strangest mm. uh, syndromes that exists. Mm. This young woman is out there rocking the world (laughs) because she decided, she made up her mind that she was not going to let this win, that it was not going to get the best of her, that as long as she was breathing and still alive, she was going to contribute. As a result, she's not only inspiring tons of other people, but she's attracting tons of people to support her in the cause that she's now behind. Uh, it's just every time I talked to her on the phone, there's yet another miracle that's happened. Well, this is such a great point, and it's wonderful to bring up here at the end of our program, because in the third act, which is the completion, sometimes known as the return, the hero or heroine comes back to their world, and they bring the elixir to heal the kingdom. That's how it's put in, in those right. terms. Well, this woman is demonstrating how 
She not only helped herself, she brought something, her contribution to help the world. This is something that resonates on a deep level with all of us. Our life isn't merely for ourselves. We're all here to make a contribution, and there are obstacles that we will invariably meet along the way to become who we're destined to be to make the contribution we're here to make. Yeah, yeah, I love thinking of it that way because we each do have a contribution that we can make that not only is going to improve and bless the lives of those around us, but it will also bring us into a higher level of joy and and just happiness and satisfaction as well. So as we conclude, I think the invitation is pay attention to the stories you're telling in your own mind. Pay attention to the meaning you're imposing on the facts and who you you have cast yourself as Mm -hmm. in your own play. And I would add, ask, how do I want this story to end? Yeah. What's the result I'm going for? And then, who do I need to be? What identity do I need to take on? Just like, you know, in the casting room, oh, you're going to play this role. I will play this role, changes my mindset, changes my behaviors towards getting that result I've identified that I want. Right, and you don't have to look at the entire ending of the movie. You can just look at how do I want the next chapter to end. Chapter by chapter. Well, what a stimulating conversation. We told a good story. (laughs) Yes, we did. Well, if you've got your own stories or ideas you'd like us to explore, you can contact us at thrivinginbusinessandlife at gmail.com. I'm Christopher Harding. And I'm Will Wilkinson. Thanks for joining us. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.